Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 76 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you, the listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. What is true Cage Nirvana? I hear you ask. Well, that is only the truest, most essential, spiritual, sexual, emotional, pure, beautiful form of being that a human person, that's you, can possibly achieve. And we do this by watching every single film the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood has ever made. And maybe, just maybe, we can learn a little bit more something about that life thing. You all know what it's all about, like bottle of water, and uh, become as close to God as it's possible to be. Uh, So how have you been? Hope you've been well. It's getting colder. Christmas, how close is Christmas? And I've hardly done any Christmas shopping. Isn't that always just the way? I hope your Christmas shopping and season is going a little bit better than mine. If you celebrate Christmas, if you don't, I hope you're well all the same. Outside of that, not too much to report. Um, I've been completely absorbed by Halo Infinite. They've put a grapple hook in it, and I'm just flying around mountains, and it's wonderful. It's the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Rambling about Halo Infinite aside, we move on to episode 76 this week. Uh, and this week, I was joined by stand-up comedian Rob Copland to talk about the film USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Uh, this episode was tremendous fun to record. Uh, Rob brought a lot of energy and enthusiasm to the podcast, which is always welcome. So you're going to enjoy listening to this one. I certainly hope that you do. Now, all the links to uh, Rob's socials and such are in the description down below. At the time of recording in the middle of December 2021, Uh, Rob has a number of work-in-progress shows coming up in January, February, and March of 2022. So they're all linked down there as well. So if you get the opportunity to do, please do go check out and support Rob. You will not regret it. Tell him the Golden Hog of Hollywood sent you. And we'll get the admin out of the way, of course. You can follow me on Twitter at cage underscore podcast. I'm on Instagram at CageRagePod, um, and you can find me on all the usual streaming services wherever you stream your podcasts. Apple and Podchaser, if you're listening on there, please consider giving the show a rating. Helps it grow. Five stars would be lovely. And there's all the other ones as well. You know what they are. Without further ado, let's get into episode 76, USS Indianapolis Men of Courage, Darren Edge and Rob Copland. ta We move on and set sail on board a U.S. Navy cruiser in USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Now this week, we join Cage as Captain Charles B. McVeigh III, the commanding officer of the titular cruiser towards the end of the Second World War, after it is torpedoed by a Japanese submarine and the crew is left fighting for survival in shark-infested waters. Now joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to see if this film is sailing to golden shores or just swimming with the fishes is writer, actor and comedian 
Rob Copland. Rob, how the devil are you today? Fantastic. So happy to be here. Let's let's climb in a cage together and cage it up, baby. <laughs> That's the enthusiasm I've been looking Woo! for. Forget the other riffraff. <laughs> this is what it's all about right here, right now. So as we've a lot of these episodes, just to sort of kick things off, always interested to know with um, the guests, uh, is it your thoughts on Cage? Where do you stand on the man as an actor? Um, what are your, what are your thoughts? Just generally, my Nicolas Cage opinions. Yeah, go for it. I think, Unfiltered. I think he's a mad. I think he's a madman. I think he's completely and utterly insane. <laughs> How he does so many films. So, he's in so many. Do you know how many films he's in? Uh, I know there's about over 110 credits uh, to his Whoa! name so far. What's he looking for? What's he trying? What I just he blows me away. And he's been in some absolute crackers. He's been in some corkers, Raising Arizona. It's an incredible film. But it's like the percentage. It's like my win-lose percentage on FIFA. Like the <laughs> loses outweigh the wins so dramatically. <laughs> yeah, it's like... I just don't understand how someone can do incredible films and terrible films. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... What's driving him at this point? That's what I want to know. Um, it's a good question. I mean, maybe, you know, the Holy Spirit, some part of the Trinity is part of his being, but, um, well, I mean, financial reasons, certainly for a time. When you buy dinosaur bones, you've got to pay for them, especially when they're not yours and they belong to a museum. Um, when did I dinosaur those? He did. Um, he purchased just dinosaur bones. Uh, turns out they still belong to a museum of some description. Um... He's a accountant. Um, when you Nicholas Cage, want to buy him, mate? Want to buy him? <laughs> I'll cut you deal, mate. What you want to sell me these dinosaur bones? I will buy these dinosaur bones. Give <laughs> <laughs> me hundred uh, quid right here. They're yours, mate. <laughs> <laughs> this dinosaur's got so many bones. You won't miss a won't miss a rib, mate. Won't miss a rib. Miss um, a rib? Hey, you ain't gonna know he's dead, mate. Um, <laughs> I imagine that's how the conversation went, but I would love to find out the situation building up to that. Or at what point you think, you know what my mansion needs? Bones. I want to get a throne of dinosaur bones. Hey, that's going to be pretty cool, actually. I'm going to have like a, like a chandelier. I'm going to have a chandelier made out of that. It's got triceratops. I've turned into the <laughs> DNA strand from Jurassic Park. Dino DNA. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, he, I mean, maybe he did. He... he like many of us just saw Jurassic Park and thought dinosaurs are fucking cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the only way it makes sense for me. Um, he strikes me the kind of guy who sees something, thinks that's cool, and runs headfirst into it without any, you know, all the gear, no idea kind of guy. <laughs> like how, you know, a lot of people in, I guess, their teenage years go through phases. He's just a mm. man whose lifetime is different phases. That's right. Yeah. First, it's dinosaur bones. I mean, it, we're only, you know, one bad day away from being a human collection in there. Jesus, imagine that. Nicolas Cage arrested with uh, the remains of human skulls found in his apartment. Oh, man. Surprised. It would be an honour if they were mine that were found. <laughs> <laughs> it's an honour, Nicholas, for you to take my bones. Um, I don't need them. I've got too many of them. If anything, they're a hindrance. Um, and I'd just like to flop for a while. What's your what's your favourite Nick Cage film? 
Big question. Good question. Um, it's I've recently seen the Spike Jones directed uh, Charlie Kaufman written oh. adaptation. Oh, what a film! Great film. What Very a film! Great. Unbelievable. Um, blew blew my little mind away. Blew my useless bones all over the shop. It's very funny. It's very funny because he plays the twin brothers, doesn't he? And he's fantastic. It's a great performance. That oh, like it's um, I've sort of said it before. It's one of these films where there's a lot of films where you watch them and you realise you're watching Nicolas Cage. Um, But in this film, adaptation, um. It's like I didn't feel like I was watching Nick Cage. I felt like I was watching um, the, the Kaufman brothers. It's, it's an actual performance. It's, it's it's Adam Sandler, but it's not like an Adam Sandler <laughs> movie. It, it, you know what I mean? It's like when a director can draw out a performance from an actor that we know so well for doing this one thing, and when they can get something else out of them, it's it's pretty amazing. I think uh, definitely. I remember sort of reading something about it, saying um, uh, he had to sort of to use the term. Cage, um, he's acting instincts, and he just did what Spike told him to do. Gets nominated okay. for all the awards, but as we say on this as on this podcast, he lost out on the BAFTA to Daniel Day Lewis for Gangs of New York. Fuck Daniel Day Lewis, and I stand by that. Daniel Day Lewis. Wow, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I mean, it was a good performance, but your bill. You know, it's it's you know, it was it was no Cage. It was no Cage. And um, if I if I meet Day Lewis one day, then only one of us is coming out of that room. Um, is that is that the only time Nicolas Cage has been nominated for a BAFTA? That I'm not sure if he was nominated in '95. He did win the Oscar and the Golden Globe for Best Actor in '95 for leaving for Las Vegas. Oh, okay, okay. I've not seen that, but I've heard it's good. It 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 is. I think understandably, it's his top film that he's been in. I mean, if that's the one you won an award for, why wouldn't it be your top yeah. film? But you get a lot of films where you get the, um, you know, the cage outbursts, the cageisms. In Leaving Las Vegas, they're deserved because it makes sense because he's like, you know, struggling alcoholic. Uh, sometimes it's like someone would stub their toe and be like, ah, God damn it. But in Cage, he stubs the toe. And then <laughs> it's, uh, like I said, he's, he's, some people like the journey of, you know, of um, whatever it is they're doing. You know, it's not the destination, it's the journey. The cage, it's yeah. A and B. He's a destination kind of guy. He's at his best when he's when he's just going completely nuts, isn't he? I think that's I think especially now. Um now we didn't really get it in this form, obviously we'll touch on that, but uh I think especially now it's what a lot of people are sort of looking at him for. Um as of mm-hmm. this recording, he's doing a lot more horror films now, which is weirdly mm. Which pairs with him really well. Um, some might say it's like it's a specific taste. You know, you're matching that wine to that meat. But he's, you know, he's done Color Out of Space. He's done uh, Mandy, which I think would arguably be my second favorite Cage film. It's worth checking out then. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, that gets my uh, chef's kiss. I've I've heard it's it's an absolute mind bending. Just like trippy, gory, insane roller coaster, Mandy. Um, all of those things and more. That plot. Um, yes, I feel like the answer might have surprised you. Um, well, you know, sometimes films don't have plots. It's, it's rare, <laughs> but to me, 
from all the adverts, all the posters, all the trailers I saw of Mandy, I was like, is this just going to be flashing lights and Nicolas Cage just like swinging down different rooms? That's the vibe <laughs> I got from Mandy. It's an, it's an understandable vibe that you, you would have got from it. Uh, weirdly enough, there is a plot. Um, him, him and his uh, partner having a lovely little life. He's you know cutting down trees as part of his logging group. Uh, and then there's this uh, strange sort of cult, the leader of which uh, eyes up uh, his partner, they make eye contact, and he's like, yes, ma'am, I'll have a bit of that. Waiter, the bottle, if you please. Uh, nabs her. Um, bad events happen, and then Cage goes on the old warpath uh, to take him all down. Crafts his own weapon. He has a chainsaw fight. Um, has a bloody face. There's a bit of, uh, you know, family fun. A uh, bit in there for everyone. By okay, all I'm going to have to check that out. Um, um, but what I'd also recommend, it's not out yet as of this recording, but dropping in the UK Feb 12th, uh, Willy's Wonderland. Um, might have heard of it, might not, but basically do you, uh, the easiest comparison, really. Do you know the game Five Nights at Freddy's? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's basically, um, there's this old sort of amusement park um, which has these animatronics like a bear, a gorilla, an ostrich, uh, a crocodile, that, um, uh, spoiler, they come to life and do some killing. But Nicolas Cage is for one night the janitor of said amusement park, and he ain't taking too kindly to it. Uh, he's snapping okay. brooms in half, he's beating an ostrich down, um, he's having a great time just um, killing these robots. It's he's just, bonkers. He's just like, doing films where he just fucks shit up now. Um. Yeah. Cage <laughs> uh, just wants to fuck shit up. That's his mo now. That's his. That's his modus. His operandi, and you know, part of this, <laughs> uh, part of this podcast for me, watching his films. Um, obviously a weird comparison, but you know, in the same way that some kinds, uh, something like detectives, they're like to get in the mind of a killer. You know, to find the killer, you've got to get in their mind and learn their things. Uh, yes. Yes. May, maybe by the end of this. Um, I'll just be like, I want to kill stuff and buy bones as well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you can turn into like a, a little Nicolas Cage. That'd be interesting. I know. You, um, uh, maybe like, like Lil, Lil Nicky Box, we can call Lil me. Cage. You'd be Lil Cage. You'd be Big Cage. You'd be Lil, Lil Cage. Move over, Big Chef, Little Chef. Big Cage, Little Cage. <laughs> coming in, coming into that kitchen. Um, but I suppose to fire the question back to you, prior to USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, uh, did you have a favourite Cage film? I mean, my favourite film was Nicolas Cage in definitely Adaptation, but I don't see it as a Nicolas Cage film, do you know what I mean? Because there's a type of film now, like Mandy, or what you just described, that I would describe as a Nicolas Cage film, where he's the kind of, he's the big weight in it that gets it made. And it centers around this idea that we have as of Cage, mm-hmm. of this kind of madman. Um, I really like Raising Arizona, but again, that's a Coen Brothers film. But he's fantastic in that, isn't he? He's so funny in that. What? Oh. Yeah. Oh. So, so, such a solid film. Yeah, his his accent, his he's just such like a a, a low life in that film. Yeah, <laughs> having those those dreams about the guy on the motorbike and he's describing them and how horrific it is for him. So funny. 
it's 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 such a it's such a good film and one of those early cage films that really popped him like oh who's this who's this absolute maverick out mm. on the scene um but he, he, he for me he fits into that sort of coen brothers world so well yeah um, and i saw i know there's a number of directors he hasn't worked with yet that he wants to um i know he said um oh my god this, this is gonna be uh, awful to say but i've forgotten the name uh, the, the gentleman quentin tarantino um who he Whoa. hasn't worked with i feel cage and tarantino could make some magic happen and it would just I'm make really, sense he's such a good bad guy in a tarantino film couldn't he i think he can make a great bad guy um some of that bad lieutenant energy oh give me that energy that that ble that <laughs> what's that line there's a great line in a uh, bad lieutenant where he's smoking crack and he's like shoot him again why his soul is still dancing and the camera pans around and it's like just this it's just shooting at this thing so good that's a crazy film it i think there's a, there are films when they use him it's weird to say but sometimes cage you have to use him right um you do you, you can't do. just have a crazy script and say cage will do um you know you've got to you know what, and what i'm gonna say about uss what's it called uss Indianapolis, men of courage. I'm going to say <laughs> that Nicolas Cage has not fulfilled his potential in this film. I feel that the filmmakers had uh, a, an, an asset that they did not fully use in this film. Nicolas Cage is essentially a mannequin in this film. Oh yeah, um, this this is kind of a weird thing for, for Cage because I suppose on the back of um, Dinosaur Bone Gate, if we want to call it that, he was in quite a bit of debt for quite a while, so had to do. But tell me, is this because Kevin Bacon only did the EE adverts because he got he was a victim of like ID fraud, and that's why he's doing those EE adverts because he's got no money anymore. How? What? Just fully. In, explain this dinosaur bone thing to me. He, how much kind of debt was he in? A lot is the short answer. Right. To the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only way to describe how much debt he was in is the fact he did USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Um, <laughs> the 2010s, really... Um, well, actually, just looking it up here, um, there was a foreclosure on a lot of properties. He got a 6.2 million tax bill in 2009, uh, we would go on to sue his money manager, claiming negligence and fraud. Um, but he had a big, a big fortune. He had like 150 million. He went on sort of houses, um, jetting across to England, which he's a big anglophile. He's got property over here. Turned on the Christmas lights in Bath in 2009. Pursued the Holy Grail. Bought the dinosaur skull, I believe it was. Um, so a lot of. Uh, a lot of debt, but this I is why... That financial pickle, and that's why he's doing all these insane films. <laughs> I mean, up until 2010, his, his output was, um, if you weigh up the pros and cons, still pretty good. Still yeah. more hits than misses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We get to 2010, you know, coming out of 2009. Um, by the end of 2009, he's got Bad Lieutenant, he's got Kick-Ass, uh, got one yeah. or two Disney films under there, some Ghost Riders... Um, but then a lot of this debt was catching up to him and he was putting out, by no fault of his own, a lot of guff because he had to. A lot yeah. of straight-to-DVD 
guff, um, which oh, is God, how depressing. Imagine that starting out in something that you loved, and then now he's just sitting on a little boat on the set of USS, whatever it is called, Indianapolis, just thinking, God, I gotta pay off these debts. He hardly <laughs> even acts in it. That's the thing. That's the thing. I I felt shortchanged watching it, being like, Whoa, all right, Nick Cage, here we go. It, he's like, he's like in, he's like twenty percent of the film, and I, I was hoping for at least an eighty percent cage to other cast ratio <laughs> that's what i want when i'm going into a nick cage film i want i want to get nick caged i want to be locked in his cage and uh, you want to get right deep in there and you want him to sort of you know feast on your bones and you get a real taste of the man um but but i know when we were sort of discussing um you know what films because you know Again, excuse the pun, no bones about it. You wanted some absolute horse shite. Mm. Um, and I dropped you, listen, like, look, statistically, this is the absolute dregs of the films. <laughs> and uh, you, you selected the 17% Rotten Tomato USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Um, mm. But you're very much right there. There's not... Cage is here. He is portraying the real-life captain. Um mm. The very sad story of the captain, if you sort of read it in, like, you know, what actually happened to him. But this is the epitome of a performance where he's not turned up. He's just there. It's a nice, easy paycheck for him because all he really do- does is like, how's the boat? And stay out of the water. And also, who can forget the classic lines such as, spam! Um, <laughs> Which uh, bit does he say spam in? Uh, this is when they're in the this I don't know day three or day four of the war. Oh yes, and he fight the supplies. Yeah, spam. <laughs> <laughs> Which is now going to be one of my life mottos. Like when in doubt, spam. Um, but I will always need to have a can of um, for any given situation. Um, like I said, very much a film that he's just he's pho- you know you can tell he is phoning oh. this one in, uh, no so- question. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the most phoned-in performance I think I've ever seen in my entire life. It's definitely up there. Um, there is a film, weirdly, which is um, inexplicably available on Netflix at the time of recording called Left Behind. That got 1%, um, which I previously covered with Alex Keeley. Um, and this is this was a film which is even more so Cage phoning it in. He's just here. For a bit of a paycheck, mm. it's this. Um, there's like a subgenre of Christian films based around the apocalypse, uh, sort of the rapture, the end of days, based on a very famous Christian book series called Lift Behind. And is it one day? Basically, the world gets Thanos. The, the snap happens. Uh, half the population just like disappears. Um, in this film, it sounds exciting on paper, but it's like he's a pilot. Three, you know, three hundred thousand feet or however high it is in the air. Um, is that too high? Is three hundred thousand feet too high? Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot speaking. We are currently cruising at thirty thousand feet. I think it's thirty thousand feet. Oh man, I've 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 gone to the moon. I've just just been cancelled by all be the wrong. pilots. I could be wrong. I could be I could be very wrong. I'm not great with numbers. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. It sounds right, doesn't it? This is your captain speaking. You're currently cruising at 30,000 feet. Looking way, way up to 40,000 feet. 
Clear skies <laughs> all the way to Las Vegas. I mean, that if you were my pilot, I'd be like, yeah, that's comfortable. That sounds right. I like that. But if <laughs> if you get me, uh, like monotone McGee over here going, you're at 30, maybe 40, 50. <laughs> How bloody high does this thing go? I can <laughs> see the moon from here, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I want it known that I exclusively fly uh, fictional northern men on my flights. <laughs> I can see bloody moon out window. Going on. <laughs> the bloody moon is floating up from me little tree, Margaret. <laughs> Nora, you've gone purple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, obviously... This Nick Cage movie on the in-flight entertainment's all right. National treasure. National bloody treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the fictional Northerner disappeared on the flight, uh, but then he's you know stuck in the air with all these characters trying to figure it out while his daughter's on the ground uh, and his wife and son have disappeared. What's going on? Let me tell you, guff. A guff it's a very popular, film. very popular genre of film in America. The um, where where what have you done with my family? That's what I call that genre. Of, what have you done with my children? <laughs> Where am I? Did you touch my children? It's a very popular genre. Of, have you seen Prisoners? <laughs> That's one of the best. No, I haven't. Oh my, you've got to see that film. Prisoners. It's horrific, legit horrific, but it's fantastic. It will leave you feeling mucky, but oh, it's oof. a bloody good film. It's like, uh, what, 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 what are you doing with my children? It's my yeah, turn Dwayne, to see Dwayne Graham. Rock Johnson you know likes, likes to star in those. You know, this is speaking of Dwayne. This is my um, slightly off topic. My Hollywood hot take, and may, I, maybe I don't know. Maybe how hot it is. Maybe it's lukewarm. Maybe it's room temp. Uh, but it's here, pretty boiling, baby. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there to the judge and jury. I personally don't feel that The Rock. Now he's a great guy, uh, philanthropic guy, generous man. Don't get me wrong. Good character. Real solid human being. Love, Love him as a wrestler. Big wrestling fan. However, to the nitty and the gritty, I don't believe he's ever made a good film. Um, I think you're right. I think you're right. And also, the, the it, well, it's the most American thing you can imagine. He hasn't made a great film, but Jesus Christ, how much money has he grossed at the cinema? Dwayne the Rock Johnson's in a new movie. Let's go see what happens in it. His family, but he saved them from a burning. It's like one film, it's a burning building. The next film, it's a burning city. It's just Dwayne the Rock Johnson making sure everyone's okay with his muscly arms. He's got a whole family (laughs) dangling off his arms. He's like, don't worry, America, I got (laughs) you. You know, again, I like him as a person, but I'm sick of every time he promotes a film, him saying how much time he's put into it, how passionate he is about projects. If anything, yeah. Rob, I okay. wish that you were the Scorpion King, and I think you've been um, you've been shafted. <laughs> I want to be the Scorpion King, but it's like a really horrible, realistic costume, and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm all scaly, and like like a proper like thing with actual poison on it, and like I accidentally <laughs> hit people with it and die. Oh man, I want to be the Scorpion. I am I go mad with power. I start eating geckos and lizards on the set. I am the lizard king. <laughs> and like a hundred people died on set, but they wouldn't shut it down. No um, way. You, you were I'm a the danger. king. We keep this production open. 
You were the I do like a big king. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise style rant where I'm like, I'm the king. <laughs> <laughs> production will not get shut down. It will not get shut down. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're only one curse production away from becoming absolute Rob Cruise. Yeah, I think everyone is uh, vulnerable to this. I don't think anyone is immune. We're all one day away from getting absolutely cruised. Let's get get into this dog shit film. Let's get right into it and and, and break down down the narrative because no one's going to watch it. No. Don't blame them. No, um, no one's going to watch it. You shouldn't. Never have been made. This film should never, ever have been made. It's completely. (laughs) And the thing is, I bet it like it seems like a great idea because it's an it's an incredible story. It's a powerful Mm. story. It's got everything, but it's just it's kind of like it's too grotesque to to be good, and it's not. It's just not done well because. What like you know? It sounds great on paper, but when you watch the actual film, a sink ships. Some people just like float around in water for like an hour and a half. They get picked <laughs> off every now and then, but you're not that attached to the characters when it happens. That when one dies, you're like, oh well. And then and then and then Nick Cage puts a gun in his mouth, pulls the trigger, and you're kind of thinking, yeah, I let the film, the film open. Yeah, can we go? Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, you know what, before I'd even pressed play on this film, knowing it was 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, when I saw that this was over two hours, I thought immediately, this is too long. Yes. I, yes, I, yes. I know in my, in, um, in my DNA that this is too long. But um, I read an interview that uh, Cajun director Mario Van Peebles did. And, um, this funny name, by the way. Very funny name. Great name. Um, there's Say it again. Mario Van Peebles. It's me, Mario. Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> Have you met my brother, Luigi Peeby? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's another name that pops up with uh, a few films he's been in um, who wrote such things as uh, sort of G-Force and um, uh, The National Treasures, uh, a husband-wife duo collectively known as the Wibblies. Love it. Say it again. The Wibblies. The Wibblies. We're the Wibblies. Welcome to our Wibbly home. <laughs> You'll find no straight lines in here, stranger. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so he'd said about this, and this is one of my, when you sort of read it, you think, I don't think he really meant that. But sort of talking about how he got on board with the film, and he said, uh, I had some debts, you see. <laughs> the real answer was, I have some debts and I'm quite sad. Uh, but what he said was, um, one of my dreams or first loves is the ocean. And my dream has always been to do a movie that takes place at sea. Um, so this film, allegedly, is a dream come true for old yeah. old Nicky boy. Um, he, he but the dream there, the dream there is being on location. It's not. It's nothing to do with the film. It's like I got. I got to be by the sea for a month. <laughs> I got to sit in a raft and shout about spam uh, <laughs> for hours I love at a spam, time. By the way, did I did I mention that it was always one of my dreams to be in a spam movie? <laughs> 
if it was USS Indianapolis uh, Spam of Courage or Men of Spam, then... Men of Spam. I think that would have been uh, incredible. But um, No wonder the bloody sharks were going after them. They're all made of Spam. Bloody idiot. All- you idiot. You've got spam in your pocket, you fool. If there's two things sharks love, it's spam and blood. Bloody um, spam. I think one of my issues with the film, and I don't even know if I can call it an issue, it, 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 it the first 50 minutes of the film, it's characters making very on-the-nose references to sharks Tom Sizemore's character spends about two minutes uh, making sure we're aware that sharks are dangerous. As a mm-hmm. guy of a magazine saying, like, oh, are sharks really attracted to blood? Um, they might as well have cast a shark in a Navy uniform to wink at the camera at that point. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, they really, they really do hammer home the shark thing, don't they? The, the, the bit that really just I laughed out loud at was when the torpedo hits the ship and this the ship is sinking and there's like, you know, water flooding in and everyone sets on fire. Did you notice that? That not like bits of the, the ship weren't on fire, but people themselves just spontaneously <laughs> yeah. My back is on fire. What the fuck? <laughs> really was, but water is flooding into the ship. And one of the characters, the chef, who is particularly scared of sharks, he just goes around for like the first 20 minutes going like, do you think there's sharks outside in the water? Just constantly talking about sharks. (laughs) He's like, oh no, the ship's sinking. He looks down, there's a flood of water, and in the flood of water, there's a National Geographic magazine. What's on the front of that magazine? A bloody shark. (laughs) You'd think a shark find the torpedo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, when the ship itself is sinking and people are falling into the water, as soon as Nick Cage is... I mean, the ship isn't even fully sunk yet. Nick Cage is in the water. Sharks are there already. Already. It's just... It's like they just want to get to that beat so quickly. They're like, as soon as he's in the water, there's a shark there. And the shark doesn't attack him. It waits, like, like three or four days before it starts attacking people. Yeah, it's... It feels like so unfocused. It's like, okay, we've got to get across the integrity of the USS Indianapolis. We've got a force in a romantic B-plot with two little Marines that you don't care about. But then suddenly, when we get into Act 2, it's Shark Ahoy, baby. Um, But it's like, again, we're talking about MOs earlier. The MOs of the shark... Make no sense. The first shark I saw, that first CGI shark, I lost my shit. That because was you thought brilliant. it was good or you thought it was bad? Because it was because they're trying to paint such like a realistic picture. They're like, this is the real story of the USS Indianapolis and the men who survived. This is a thing that happened. We're taking this seriously. Pow, CGI shark that looks yeah. good on the sci-fi channel. Um yeah. it, it, I, I like I said before recording, I was eating a chocolate fudge cake at this point. I nearly choked. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah, well, the, the shots of people getting attacked, you know the bit, do you remember the bit where the guy, so there's a character and he's been out at sea after the ship, the ship has sunk and he's on a raft and he leans over the side of the raft to throw up. And as <laughs> yes. he's chundering, the shark, like, it's like laser focused to his vomit. It goes straight for him. He's like, he's hardly got halfway through his vom and the shark is swallowing him. <laughs> but they, what yeah. they do what they do is they have this 
one shot that they keep using where it's like point of view of like the shark coming at the camera, like straight into the lens. And it's so low quality. It yeah. just turns out so badly. And there was another I noticed during um, when they're showing the Japanese crew, they have scenes where they're running around in it. And it's like a, like a lesser quality. I think it's a GoPro. I think they've just like decided to chuckle a couple of GoPro. Just, I don't know, just run around the, the, the ship for half an hour with this GoPro and we'll just stick that in every now and then, every 10 minutes. <laughs> and those, um, those, all those, so like, so the beginning of the film, they they are trying to, what, what they're trying to do is make us care about the characters. So one of them has, he wants to propose to a, a woman, like the only woman in the film. Yeah, he want uh, as um, I can't remember anyone else's motivation. Can you remember why we why we care about any of the other characters? One of them wants to get married, and that's it. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, it's the two uh, the two lads who only speak in forties lingo. Um, <laughs> I think it's called Mike and uh, Brian uh, Bama. His sort of nickname is. They both love the same woman, Clara. Um, he's they they have a big dance. They go to the mansion. He's going to propose. They have a big dance. It's like uh, hula hoop, gee whiz, so hubcaps, yeah, yada yada. Yeah, um, hey Joey, hey buddy, yeah. <laughs> it just breaks out. He goes to a house for a meeting. One of them goes downstairs. He, the other one just goes upstairs into a room in the house. And all of a sudden, it's just swinging and dancing. There's just ladies up there waiting. Are you, are you ready to dance, boys? <laughs> and he's so sick at dancing. He's got all the moves, all the dancehall moves. He's swinging them around. He's twirling them in the air just for no reason. They just burst out into dance. Yeah, he's, he's sliding around. He's sliding between legs. There's like 15 ladies in there. Um, mm. And then the one, there's one lady going like, "He's a gas." Um, and I think is that the only way to make an impression in 1945? Yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it just reeks of daytime television knowledge of era. Where it's like, it's, <laughs> if, I, if I wrote this film, I'd be like, I don't know, dance hall, they're dancing. Why don't we have a, a rough and tough in the alleyway afterwards? Hey, yeah, good. I your good odds on him. He's gonna kick his ass. You gotta come here, buddy. I'm gonna kick your ass. <laughs> It's so um, on the nose, isn't it? That, oh, that yeah, it, it's like just how many terrible, lazy tropes can we throw in in lazy about trope. 20 minutes? Uh, mm. A dance, a rough and tumble, some lingo. <laughs> and then uh, obviously in the rough and tumble, he loses the ring. And then that continues yeah. the little subplot of uh, which of those ruddy hooligans I'm supposed to call me fellow crewmen, me fellow Siemens, um, yeah. took yeah. the bloody ring. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And and for me, that like lost ring thing absolutely reeks of like the script the screenwriters doing research for the film. And then like one of them telling a story like, oh well, I was gonna propose, but then I lost the ring. And then I thought maybe if I survive this, I will ask her. And he's like, That's our movie. That is our movie. And he just like had, had that in the script. So it's so it's in bold. I can see it in bold on the rest of it. It's like, yeah, the ship goes down, but this guy with the ring, remember that? The guy with the ring. Oh, it's, it's like it's like they thought, you know, you know, they're gonna really they're gonna really like this subplot. They're gonna they're gonna mm. attach to these characters. 
you know, they've got, um, because it's the 40s, you've got to have that classic, the blacks versus the whites, um, because oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. rough and tumble. But then nothing says, um, you know, crossing racial divides and unity, like getting locked in a cell together when it, the ship is sinking. Um, I'm sorry! So the ship is sinking and the um, there's a black guy in a cell and a white guy in a cell next to each other and one of the black friends comes to release the black guy his his yeah. black friend but they leave he's like come on man let me get in here obviously they have beef because they they're black and white and so they just hate each other for no reason mm-hmm. and when he comes back to save he he doesn't save him but then does he have guilt and he comes back and he unlocks yeah. him from the cage yeah, I mean, he, he goes up about three levels in the ship and he's like, oh, actually, I probably shouldn't <laughs> let him drown. That's not cool. Yeah, actually, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and then both get locked in there. The ship goes 90 degrees. How, they get... How does that happen? How does that happen? He goes back to save him. He's like, I'll lock you. Quick, get the keys. Oh, wait a second. What? We're both locked in now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um, it's like it's such a blink and you'll miss it thing, but it seems like the water pressure locked them Pushing in, in something um, like that. and then yeah, and then the ship flips, and then they get both effectively ejaculated out of the prison cell and yeah, just outside. Um, yeah, a very Thumbs convenient out. trajectory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, funny. It's almost like um, a cinematic um, magical realism where it's like at the moment where they're both dying and they both realise they're gonna die. They, they're like, "I'm sorry, dude. I'm fucking sorry, bro. I fucking love you, dude." <laughs> at that moment, then you know what I mean. Like at that moment that they've come to love each other in their final seconds and they realise the wrong of their ways, that's when they get saved. Listen up, America. <laughs> if you just love each other, you will be okay. That's when they get saved, when the sunburn, um, they've been out there so long that uh, the one guy goes blind. Um, <laughs> I think he you know, didn't get his spam intake. I thought he did a... I thought that the guy did a very good job of acting blind without like doing the Stevie Wonder, you know? Like it's, it, you, it, I just think it's hard <laughs> to do acting blind without it being funny. Yeah, uh, like you're taking the piss. I I thought he did a good. I can't see, man. I can't see. I thought it was good. I thought it was. <laughs> I had time for that. There was one or two shining lights for me in this film, and his blind acting was one of them. I think it's a very underappreciated blind acting role that should get mm. uh, should be in the blind acting conversation, and uh, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it absolutely <laughs> it absolutely isn't. Um, there should be what's that? What you know? What that antithesis to the Oscars thing is called? What's, do you know what I mean? Like the bad Oscars, uh, like like the Razzies. The Razzies. They should have a category for best fake blind, best blind acting of the year. <laughs> Every year. That's that could be very dangerous. Uh, well, maybe it's you know, maybe the Razzies like takes a complete one eighty for for more representation in their categories. And this is a massive turnaround for the Razzies. Um, you know, they, they can like the Golden Peeper Award uh, for best for best blind lad goes yes. to um, naughty chef guy in USS Indianapolis. Um, but that all those chefs were quite sneaky though. They were spitting on pies. Um, yes. They were putting uh, like hot sauce in drinks 
So that second that... in command was a bit of a git as well. Yeah, the second in command was really funny because when he was on the ship, he was really like, do you notice how his character was just always nervous? Like, he's always like patting sweat from the back of his neck, like, yeah, don't worry, it's okay. And he's like sweating and nervous all the time. <laughs> and then as soon as he was in the water, he was just angry all the time. Like, do what I say and give me that thing over there. He was just angry. <laughs> I think that that's sort of yeah. great bit when... Um... There's just a lot of rafts out, rafts which don't seem to have any middle sections for whatever reason. It's like, I need four able-bodied men. There's land over there. There's land. Spoiler, there was no land over there. Five men true. went out to sea. One man returned. He was not, he was not one of them, um, <laughs> which was such an unceremonious send-off for him as well. I, I completely missed that. Did he... Did he die? And did the captain, the, the second in command captain, die looking for land? Yeah, I don't know if he just got heat stroke or he was just ill or delirious, but he took four able bodied men so they could use those comically tiny oars to sort mm. of row out to the distance. He claimed that he saw land. Um, and then that uh, raft sort of returns and, like, it was too many sharks. Um, <laughs> So I think he became Shark Chow because only one guy came back. Um, okay. but, but there was, you know, I think in a Star Trek sense, a lot of red shirts with the Marines. Um, there was that one guy who one of the chef asks like early on, he's like, um, he's just trying to make friends and be nice. He's like, uh, so why did you join the Marines? And he's like, to kill people. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, he's trying to intimidate from asking any questions because he's guarding the nuclear bomb, isn't he? And he just yeah. wants him to leave him alone. I was like, so why are you joining the Marines? Fuck people up. <laughs> the American way, asshole. Um, yeah. Then he has a little swim out when that raft comes back. Uh, then he becomes Shark Chow as well. There was no reason for him to make the yeah. swim, but he did it. One of, my, uh, one of my favorite things about Tom was um, Tom Sizemore's dove in a cage. <laughs> yeah. No real explanation given for it. It's just there for a while and then it's not. And then someone goes, yeah, that wasn't a dove. That was a pigeon. And it breaks his heart. <laughs> it's like, yeah, my, my dad raises pigeons. That's a pigeon. And then everything he knows about everything has just been fucking destroyed. Have you got um, a theory for what the purpose of that is? Um, well, a dove is a symbol of peace. So they say, yeah. And this, and this film is about the end of the Second World War and the men on this ship were doing a mission to get peace through violence. And they believe what they're doing is right. And Tom Sizemore character believes that this is a dove, but it's not. It's a pigeon, so it's not peace. Oh, do you see where I'm going here? <laughs> <laughs> um, is I it think supposed the, uh, to be a bizarre uh, like uh, metaphor? Is, is this dove slash pigeon supposed to be a, a visual metaphor for the entire film? I think you're giving this film way too much credit, man. <laughs> um, I, I suppose if we're going on that line of thought, maybe... Dove is supposed to be a symbol of peace, but it's actually a pigeon. So there wasn't the peace that they thought there was going to be because it was supposed to just be a straight mission. There you go. Because no one was supposed to know that they were out there because it's top secret. 
Um, obviously, to touch on that, the purpose of the USS Indianapolis top secret radio science mission, they were transporting um, two pieces of the atomic bomb that would go on to um, sort of blow up and destroy Hiroshima. Um, but they didn't have any sort of protection, any sort of like forerunners going out there to check for submarines, which they make very, very clear at the start of the film. Oh, this yeah. ship is vulnerable to yeah. submarines and also sharks. One guy even says to Nick Cage, worried about submarines, Captain? Um, and then, obviously, you know, um, and I think it is on this uh, the Japanese submarine, um, they fire, like, manned torpedoes, like an actual yeah. human being is like riding this torpedo, like a, like a, a wacky races vehicle. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I, I I hope that that is um, historically accurate. Otherwise, it's um, it's it's a bit fucked up to just say that. But yeah, you know, I I quite liked that they um, humanized the Japanese soldiers and they didn't just vilify them. I thought that they did a good job of not being a little bit racist and not being like the Japanese are evil. They're evil because what yeah. the Americans did to Hiroshima and Nagasaki is uh, completely, like, it's one of the worst decisions and acts of violence in, in the history of, of man and woman. Yeah. It's, it's just, like, yeah, the, the death toll and the, the effects that that's had on history are horrific. So it would be really weird to watch a film made by Americans where they vilify the Japanese for sinking that shit. Uh, they should have sunk it on the way there. That would have been a lot better to be honest i don't know the cost of the <clears throat> war ending that's yeah, why this is a bad film because see th th it's so interesting this 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 mission is it's really fascinating and i wanted to watch it because of jo the film jaws and yeah. there's the, the speech in it that um is, is it hooper or what's the character's I name the fisherman i think quint quint yes yeah he gives the he, obviously he gives that famous speech, you know, six hundred of us went in on the water, only twenty of us came out, and all that shit. But um, <laughs> in actuality, it does not make for a good film. The reality of it is so ugly, and <clears throat> it's actually quite boring. Just watching people sitting water slowly being picked off. Yeah, I mean, I can, like you say, there's an interesting story there, and I can understand why they wanted to make a film out of it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, I think it was to the films, to the to the good seventeen percent part of this film that they did uh, look to um, humanize the Japanese shol uh, shoulders uh, soldiers, um, mm -hmm. Captain Hashimoto. Because um, initially I was kind of watching it, and I think maybe it's that preconceived notion, like, oh, it's a film about the U.S. Then they're the good guys, the Japanese are the bad. That's the way it was, and mm. uh, you know, from this perception from the from the West, and that's the way it tends to be in films. So in the back of my mm. head, I was kind of thinking, oh, are we, are we supposed to um, have this kind of emotional line? We're not really supposed to know. He's like, there's no good side to war, kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And then and then Hashimoto is speaking to a ghost. I'm like, hang on a minute. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Who, it was who's very, this guy? Yeah, it was very Star Wars, I felt that bit. When he's like, at the beginning, <laughs> when we're introduced to the, the captain of the Japanese ship, he's praying, isn't he? And, yeah. well, I don't know if he's the captain, but he's one of the, the, the main soldiers that we are with on that ship. He's praying, and there's a ghost 
behind him. Are they are they trying are they trying to make out that American people think Japanese have special power or the, their religion is different to ours, man? They could speak to ghosts, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't really explain who the ghost is. Nope. No. My assumption was always oh, this is this like his father, his grandfather, a family member, is it a former officer that he was trained by or looked up to? Um so you never really Obi Wan Kenobi, isn't it? <laughs> it's Japanese Obi Wan Kenobi is the only way it you know, it sort of makes sense. But like we're saying, they do try to humanize Hashimoto more, um, because um and I thought it was going to be almost some kind of like some American sports drama because he says in that voiceover, it's like, um, oh, I've I've never successfully fired a missile and hit a ship. Um, and I thought, oh, this is going to be his big coming of age story where he blows up those damn yanks. Go on, Hashimoto, get in. <laughs> and he, uh, you know, he wins. Uh, he wins over the admiration of his colleagues. He becomes the prom king um, and all <laughs> and all of that. But um Obviously, he doesn't want to use those manned missiles because he looks at those people and is like, sees the fear in their eyes, and is like, "I don't, I don't want to have a a, a preventable death on yeah, my hands." That's right. Um, He's reluctant to use them. They do use one at the beginning, though, don't they? Which Nick Cage shoots out of the water. So yeah. they send in one of these kamikaze torpedoes, and Nick Cage shoots it halfway across the water, so it doesn't even the guy the, the that that Japanese character just dies, just within in the water in a little tube. That's, that sucks. Yeah, it gets like thunked out in a little tube, uh, blows up, and like, oh well, he's gone. <laughs> um, yeah. Bye. Um, yeah. But like I said, after all of this, I was kind of wondering. Oh, it's you know, you don't always get like the the the, the Japanese perspective. But I was kind of wondering, you know, are they going to go somewhere with this? But I think it was all, I suppose, really a means to an end. Um, just to build up what happened in real life that um obviously skipping ahead to the end here in real life captain mcveigh is the uh the only um captain in u.s naval history um to have been subjected to court-martial by for losing a ship sunk by an act of war um and hashimoto came to the testimony of him mm-hmm. at the trial of mcveigh and he uh he basically said um you know, not really his fault. They tried to pin this on McVeigh because the US Navy top brass are saying, when people find out about this, they're going to be kicking off. They're going to be mm. mad. They need someone to blame. They choose McVeigh to be the full guy. On the worst thing, um, he didn't zig or zag. Um, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> so that's what they pin on him. Um, yeah, that's right. Not zigzagging. Yeah, for not zigzagging. Wait, you didn't zigzag. You always zigzag, you idiot. <laughs> it was just, it was just making me think of like um, dodgeball, when it's like you've got to dip, dive, duck, and dodge, and then like you didn't dodge. And I was just waiting for that guy, like the <laughs> the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the old manager, just to appear with a dodgeball launch it at Cage's face. Yeah, um, I just, it's so funny as well to think that like that is a naval tactic to zigzag because when you're in water, there's nothing to hide behind. You just and the ship from far away, like, oh, zigzagging. Like, it, like how much of a difference can the zigzag make in open water, really? <laughs> 
I was thinking this as like, you know, let's be honest, these naval ships, these are big, long ships. Like, how agile do you think this hunk of metal is? Yeah, how quick do you think it just going? <laughs> yeah, just really, really finesse. It's like Lionel Messi moving through the North Atlantic. <laughs> look at it go, Margaret! <laughs> <laughs> You know, this isn't just, you know, Saturday morning watching the ski slopes on Eurosport and um, <laughs> some absolute fantastic German just going down those slopes with agility and grace. Um, no. You know, this is Nicolas Cage trying to trying to protect his men, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, this, th- this film would have been, I think, if, like, a really good filmmaker made this film, I think it would have been more centred on the courtroom drama of it because you know is yeah. this man guilty or not for for carrying out orders he it's it's so unusual i mean it's so it's so american but it's so fucked up to get someone to do something you know an act of war you know mm-hmm. do this mission you're you're our little man you're going to go out there and you're going to do this for us and it's and then he gets attacked and the ship sinks and it's like well you yeah. idiot you didn't zigzag you're going down it's so yeah. bizarre to court-martial your own person who you told to do to send on a suicide mission, and when it went a, a cropper, they're court-martialing it. It's so that that is so interesting and and messed up. That 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 is that's the film right there. But the people oh, yeah. who made yeah. this film are just like daytime TV. I can just picture them in the in the boardroom. Like oh yeah, sharks. That's right. Yeah, when when they're when they're in the water with the sharks. That's it. That's our movie. It's gonna be like it's gonna be um, Das Boot meets Jaws. Woo! <laughs> Did I mention sharks? <laughs> so they just put they they just picked out like random subjects from a hat like shark zigzag courtroom. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll make that work on a little cork ball with our strings. We'll make, we'll get A to F somehow. But I think you are right, though. It's like if they just, you know, um, cut out that uh, romance B plot. Um, spoiler: Alvin had the ring. By the way, it's like I'm a subhuman piece of scum. Oh, I was going to pawn it. I'm real bad. I'm real bad. I'm real bad. Um, right? Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. At the very end of the movie when they're like in the medical bay, and the ones yeah. who have survived, one of them, he because he finds the ring during the the fisticuffs in the alleyway at the beginning. Yeah, and, and he, he yeah he's looking at it. He's like Gollum. He turns into like Schmeagle. <laughs> and he's like on the submarine. Ah, look at me! I'm going to sell you for hundred bucks, baby. And, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the film, because because he's gone through this ordeal, he's seen the light and he gives the yeah. ring back, doesn't he? And he's like, I'm subhuman scum. I'm worse than it. I'm I'm awful. I'm just a bad boy. And he gets no comeuppance. There's like it's just he's just Brian just lying in bed like, I'm gonna fuck my best friend's wife. And he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'll a like... sailor on leave. <laughs> Just that's where that term comes from. In my notes, I was like, "What a snake!" Yeah, like you discussed to Clara is like, "I've also loved you. I realise you're pregnant with my best deceased friend's child. Um, mm-hmm. You ain't gonna love me or nothing." Um, and then they get hitched. I was like, "Well," um, and I know it's really a dumb thing to say in this day and age, like, but it was a different time. Um, yeah, yeah. So in the same sense, I said to my girlfriend last night, "If I die." 
I would expect another Cage podcast to come and just, you know, look after you and the cat and carry oh, on my oh, life's work as well. That's a nice thought, isn't it? Just some random other guy from another part of the world who's got his own Nick Cage pod. He's <laughs> like, hey, I'm here to, uh, I'm here to take the throne. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Daryl, uh, didn't know him. Uh, I heard he he paid his bills on time. What a guy, what a guy, what a guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but like I said, if they cut that out, maybe just had a film of two halves, the ship, and then sort of the courtroom. Because there was, mm. again, a lot. I think at the courtroom stuff, that's when it started to get interesting. Because the very start of the film, when they're like firing the guns and there's planes coming down, I was like, okay, this isn't necessarily a 17% film. Maybe they've been harsh. There's something here. Not mm. immediately bad. Sharks happen. All right. Okay. I take it all back. Yeah. But then we get to the courtroom um, and then Hashimoto comes out and he's like, doesn't matter if it's zigzagged, I would have got him. Yeah, the, I think the peak of this film, um, zigzag all you want, baby, <laughs> zigzagging into my heart, Don't go <laughs> zigzagging into my heart. Dun dun. Um, the emo when the, film, the peak of this film, um, when for me it was like, okay, there is a nugget of an emotional thing in this film is when uh, McVeigh gets sentenced. He's been court-martialed because they only reveal the verdicts that someone is not guilty of in a court-martial. Um, he goes outside to Hashimoto, and they're just standing there, very straight, very stern, very like rigid, but shaking mm -hmm. with tension and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And Cage is like, just tell me, is there something I could have done? And then they're, they're both tearing up, and they're sort of saying... Like, look, we were both men at war. We were both doing our duty. But as human beings, um, we, we hope there's still something more for us and we can sort of come back from this. And they were just full of teary eyes. And I was like, oh, that is, mm. like this one minute is yeah. like the best thing this film has done. But it comes so late yeah. that um, and they're hoping they can forgive themselves. It just comes so late that you're just like, oh, like if, if there'd been something of this, because it's, this yeah. is this is good. This is good stuff. It is. It is. And that again, that is that's the cornerstone of what this film should have been. It's the only scene where it, it seems like it has actors who know what they're doing in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a very touching scene. It is a really, really touching scene. But at the very end of it, I find it really funny that the um, the Japanese guy goes, "This would never have happened in Japan, by the way. <laughs> all, all this circus. This would have never happened in Japan. You'd be fine." Your country <laughs> fucked up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if I was you, I'd be livid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they hate I'd you. Your people hate you. This is fucked up. <laughs> Just tugging on his shirt, kind of like. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about them apples? Mm. Um, but then, like I said, I think with with McVeigh, obviously, I was reading like the real life story of the guy, and it kind of zooms over like what really happened to him obviously he gets a phone call he has a bad dream where he falls in the water and Sizemore gets him and then he like offs himself he shoots himself in the head but reading like in real life what happened to McVeigh he had like years of mental health problems his wife died of cancer he was getting vitriolic phone calls from like the families of people who died on the ship blaming him because obviously it was a top secret mission they still couldn't talk about it and um, he's getting right. death threats and letters and then at the age of 70 years old, um, and also sort of riddled with loneliness affecting him, he takes his own life. Um, and I was like, that's fucking upsetting. That's so, like, 
heart-wrenching and it was just like just cage is just like well fuck this shit i'm out and then yeah. just it, goes bang they, by. they sweep over it they sweep over it so quickly i mean that is that's fascinating again that is your that's your film right there like this man having to deal with the actual emotional implications of you know imagine the guilt imagine the guilt you have knowing that you are the person that transported the parts to a bomb that killed thousands of people like yeah. hundreds of thousands of people and still has knock-on effects in japan today it still affects yeah. people today it's like imagine living with that guilt that's so messed up and again yeah. that's that's your movie like these like like daytime tv stars floating in water that is not a movie <laughs> No, like a man carving a piano into his raft and play like a real spot-on piano carved into a raft and will add as well. That's not the film. No. CGA Sharks, that's, you know, it's part of the story, but it's not what the film could have been. Um, and and then I think, you know, you get the sort of postscript at the, at the end to say that, um, uh, that Hashimoto became um, a Shinto priest, joined the efforts to exonerate McVeigh in 99. He did get... Uh, posthumously exonerated in 2000 by then US President Bill Clinton. You know, you kind of think like, that's kind of happy ending. There was some sort of justice there, I guess. Um, but, well, you know. They're, just trying to, they're trying to put a positive sheen on it. It's 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 absolute, it's, it's waking hell. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's war, it's death, it's suicide, it's horrific. Um, yeah. Bill Clinton, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> it's like but how do you get honored one day you'll have your black and white photo framed on a wall yeah. um and i like to think somewhere the sharks are honoring their fallen in their own little underwater um little party house as well did you um, uh what did you think of you know after when the credits were rolling and they had interviews with actual survivors i was like well like, the, the film you think it's ended and it's like <laughs> yeah. and i was like oh come on yeah. Oh, it's like not that I'm saying they don't have a story to tell because some of these people are still with us, yeah. but at the same time, I was like, I I understand it's based on a true story. You know, you can't punch me in the gut, you know, more than what this yeah. film has tried to do. Yeah. Um, but this there's that one guy who sounded like he's spent the last seventy years plotting against sharks. It's like I don't like him. I still don't so like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the filmmakers are like, did it? Did they, they go out and they interview all these survivors? Like, did they mention sharks? Put that <laughs> in at the end. I still don't trust them. I still don't trust. I hate them to this day. We get rid of all of them. It's it's got a very anti shark <laughs> message. If human beings fall into shark infested waters, what do you expect to happen? <laughs> like he said that, and I was like, well, yeah, you, that, of course you don't like sharks. Yeah. Of course, like, was I expecting to be like, you know, when some people um, interview other sort of soldiers who were still with us from like World War II, um, I remember like one interview I saw, because it was in like primary school or something, when like you sort of have to learn about the Second World War, there was some interview saying like um, to this American soldier, like, well, do you still hate the Germans now? And it's like, hate them, I married them. And, it, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, am I expecting this guy to say like, I've been hunting sharks for seventy years. Yeah, and they have like a like a necklace of teeth. Yeah, he's got a big shark tooth necklace. He's got a big jaws thing up on it, glued on his wall. Yeah, he's made it his life on mission for revenge on sharks. 
<laughs> and it's like I wasn't expecting him just to turn around at the end and be like, hate him. I married one of them. He's my wife. That's no shark. That's my wife. Um, and then um, if it had done that, then I, th- then I would have stood up and applauded and I thought, the fucking balls of you peebles. The balls. Um <laughs> But um, but you know I think I think with all that with all that being said uh, you know as we've been saying um, there is a kind of story there it didn't focus maybe on the more pressing or emotional elements of the story um, it blew it you blew it USS Indianapolis man of courage well done and that's why you're straight to video yeah 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 it's um, that that's why. Because the story is so great and it hasn't been made up to this point, once it was made and we watched it, we realised, ah, there's a good reason no one made this film yet. <laughs> Probably would have been better served as, you know, the sort of the, the three, four-part documentary on the History Channel, mm. with respect. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. When I was watching the interviews with the actual people who were on the boat, I thought, this would be so much better as a documentary. Yeah. And I'm sure Definitely. there's plenty, plenty of documentaries about it out there. Um, I think there was at least one. Um, the only one thing I noted that came from this film is that it was nominated at the 2017 Motion Picture Sound Editors USA Awards for Best Sound Editing, Director Video, Live Action, but lost out to the Western drama The Jewel, starring Woody Harrelson and Liam Hemsworth. So, easy come, easy go, I'm afraid. Easy come, easy go. The, um, uh, the music was really funny in the during the shark scenes, the musician who composed the music for it was skirting dangerously close to the Jaws music. <laughs> yes, I noticed that. It was like, it was like sharks are around the music doing it. It's like, dum, 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 <laughs> it's just like they just like just like put enough notes around it so that it <laughs> it's like they were um they were one note away from possibly getting sued for a copyright yes. but they they played it smart because they're a sneaky bunch <laughs> sneaky so bunch of filmmakers yeah um but obviously i think it will come as no surprise um the budget for this film was 40 million it just about made 2.1 million um I think it had a very limited release for like veterans only. I mean, if you think you're a survivor, like we want to bring you to the film premiere of this, and like that's how you honor my service. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> with uh, yeah. with Nicolas Cage as basically a walking corpse shouting spam. Um, yeah. You notice no how little, little we've spoken about Nicolas Cage in this? He's hardly in it. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's like he's the captain. And at the start, he's saying to the crew, he's like, without me, you're nothing. And I kind of felt like with me in this podcast, he was speaking directly to me. Because you're right, without you, <laughs> I'm just another guy. Yeah. Um, he, he mainly just does the voiceover, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. It was like, it turns out that sharks were really dangerous. Um, like, yeah. you know, he, he's no Attenborough, you know, but who is? Um you know, it may be a fat number of was here, like, it turns out that sharks make brilliant wives. Um, <laughs> and just give us a whole new angle. But um, yeah, he does the little bit of um, the voiceover, but he's he's not really, he's there. And then suddenly he's killed himself. And I'm like, yeah. 
yeah. if the ghost of Tom Sizemore was haunting me, then I probably would as well. Yeah. <laughs> and I think to touch on Tom Sizemore, awful, the best and worst thing he did when he lost his leg and he was delirious. He's like, don't let the angels get me. Wah! Yes, I forgot about that. So he, he gets his foot bit off, but somehow he gets his foot and he's cuddling it. He's just laying there, <laughs> cuddling his own foot. Yeah. And they yeah. keep jabbing him with morphine until he's just out of his nut insane. <laughs> just like it was a Call of Duty game. It's like, morphine, morphine. Yeah. Um, this is one of the bits that my, my partner, she was like doing work on the laptop. She dipped into, she was like, why doesn't he just, why don't they just throw his leg overboard? It's 1945. They're not putting it back on. Um, I would uh, I would have used his foot to fend off sharks. Take that, yes, fishy scum. <laughs> I ain't gonna marry you. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think the only other top tier moment for me was when Nicolas Cage was rowing in the tiny raft and the tiny oar directly towards the camera. I thought that was outstanding. You see, I wanted to bring, I wanted to bring that up, but I didn't know if you'd remember it. But for me, it was the laugh out loud moment. Just <laughs> there's, there's like a bigger raft, and he gets in his own individual little raft, and he has like. No, what what it's like a fucking spatula, and he's like he's like I'm going to save the he's, he's like rowing himself. It's he just looks ridiculous. It's you know in the Simpsons where it's like you think there's something funny about me when that guy gets out, <laughs> giant man gets out of the funny car. Yeah, it's such a it's so funny visually. It's it's. It's like, I honest, like in the scene, I was like, okay, like he's got an obligation to find his men. I get that. And then suddenly, tiny or it's like, these men need spam. And then he's just might as well have had like a ladle. Um, yeah. And I was like, I was watching that. I was like, 1945, you know, you're building, you know, you're building the atomic bomb, you're building giant USS naval ships, and you can't figure out the raft. How did you get anything done? Yeah. The rafts are um, weird, aren't they? Yeah, take that 1945. There's my hot take for you. Second hot take of the episode. Um, but, you know, I think I think on um, the only other thing that with the sharks is when they put the sort of the graphics to say like, uh, like day five, day four or whatever. And they're like 902 men remaining. And I was like, this isn't like a, a Super Nintendo game of lemmings that we're yeah. just counting down. <laughs> we're counting down lives here. <laughs> Um, and I was like, you know, well, considering you sailed through shark-infested waters, none of you were ready for sharks. The IMDb trivia afterwards, the, the, the numbers that they put up weren't even right. They Like, the filmmakers didn't put in the right amount of people who went in the water and came out the water. Yeah, I saw that. Um, it, they said it was um, actually closer to, like, 3,000. I mean, actually, I'm saying this. I've got my numbers wrong with airplanes before, so let me just check... <laughs> That I, I know what the hell I'm talking about, um, but yeah, I saw that they just got it like entirely, um, entirely wrong with the numbers there. But um, it's, just, it's just a complete disrespect to the the memory of it, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, thousand whatever, good enough. Put it in, put it in. The editor's <laughs> there in, in the edit by himself, like oh, I don't know. I'll just put in a random number for now, and then they'll they'll put it in later. It's left as that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's the it's the it's second world war you'll believe it um <laughs> so it was more like 1196 um 
men that were stranded. 879 died in the water from injuries related to the torpedo attack from sharks or from exposure. There were 317 survivors, one of which was Nicolas Cage, who got court-martialed. Um, but shame on you writers, uh, Cam Cannon and Richard Rionda Del Castro for doing such a sp- um, spammy job. Spammy. The- Very spammy. Very spammy. So, um, I mean, shame on them, but I suppose to wrap up, not shame on you, Rob Copland, my Scorpion King, um, for, <laughs> for joining me for USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Um, and I suppose to wrap things up, really, you know, what what would your your final takeaway, final thought of this film be? Um, shouldn't have done it. Should have just left it. Should have left it. I I I studied film at university. I I worked on film sets, and it is it is a gargantuan effort effort to make a film. It, I I don't want to be involved in filmmaking because it's such an, a heave. There's so much, it's so much work goes into making a film. And this film was made. What a fucking waste of money. What a waste <laughs> of time. They should have just watched a documentary. It's just completely pointless. The actors are all shit in it. It's just, it's just a waste of time. Nobody watch it. <laughs> there he is. It's an affront to everything Rob knows and loves about cinema. And he's never been this angry in his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's, a waste, it's a waste of money. How much do you say it cost? 40 million, but it made 1.2. How do you explain uh, that? Explain that away. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't get the numbers of the survivors right, you ain't going to get the numbers of the magic right over, are you, mate? <laughs> Um, it's you know in many ways good and bad. An I, unbelievable. I, my, film. my my only uh, positive shining light is I'm glad that Nicolas Cage got to make some back some money so that he can keep the bones in his house, his dinosaur bones, because I bet they're lovely. <laughs> you see, even in the darkest lights, the murkiest, most shark-infested waters, there is light. There is the golden hog of Hollywood, the greatest mm. hog in the business. Mm. Nicholas Cage, the greatest actor of our generation. At least he got something out of it. He got a little payday, and he finally got to make a film at sea. And you know, if nothing else, we can be happy with that. I think we can dreams be happy can with that. Dreams can come true. You know, pursue your dreams. One day, you too will be aboard the USS Indianapolis, and maybe you will be a man or woman. Uh, or other of courage you know courage is for all of us as evidenced by Nicolas Cage giving his life and mission to all of us to see in the year 2021 the year of our Lord Cage 2021 um and on that absolutely forced high note um because that's the way we do it here um we'll wrap things up uh rob once again thank you for joining me uh, where can we find you on the socials if you if we want to talk sharks and bones with you if anymore? you want to talk shark bones with me ring me on 07909 that's my mobile phone number if you want to look at the things <laughs> i do all social media across the board it's at robert d for delta copland c-o-p-l-a-n-d Wonderful stuff, uh, ladies and gentlemen, cage lovers, universal, Rob Copland, ladies and gentlemen, look at that, look at that, what energy, um, he is a man of courage, um, and on that note, 
we rain out this episode we bring things to a close thank you for joining me yet again if you have been it's been a lot of fun um and next week we move on to dog eat dog it's cage it's bloody willem defoe what's going to happen um be there be square we'll see you in the next one but until then as ever keep on keep on caging it's all you have to do take care thank you and goodbye Bye. Bye.